Good morning, church. How is everyone? It is December the 31st, the last day in the year of our Lord, 2023. I don't know if you noticed that on your calendars. This is it. My wife was fascinated when she saw, probably on social media somewhere, that the date is 123123. Did you know that? How many of you saw that? One, two, three, one, two, three. She said it's the, it's the waltz date. One, two, three, one, two, three. So we're all going to waltz this morning. If you want to, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just trying to liven the room a little bit. Um, it is uh, good to be in the house of the Lord together. You know, it's not often that you can come to the, the last uh, day of the year and be able to assemble together with the family of God. Uh, on New Year's Eve in anticipation of the new year that is to come. It's a gift uh, we're thankful for. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to be uh, here with you to preach this morning. Blessings on Scott and Melissa as they are away and may or may not be watching this online. If you are, Scott and Melissa, blessings to you and your family. So thankful for Scott and his ministry here, for the ministry team here, uh, and uh, how they serve us and the work of God in this place and the journey we're on to seek God's will, to discern God's will and leading as we step into this new year. One, two, three. One, two, three. Together. I want you to know that it's okay. It's okay if sometimes you step into uh, the house of God and you think, I'm not sure what all this is about. Or, I think I know what this is all about, but I'm not sure I buy it. I would hope that church could be an honest enough place, that God would expect it to be an honest and transparent enough place. He knows our hearts and our minds. That we could actually say what God already knows, that sometimes we're not sure. We're not sure where we are or what the destination is or what God's up to in the midst of the hard, hard work of trying to be people of faith. So can we start there today? On the last day of the year as we gather up kind of all that's gone before and come to kind of step across the threshold into a new year. And because of that, I want to begin... Um, by, uh, have chosen this morning to begin with uh, these words of Scripture. They really come from three places. Sometimes we pick a passage and we read a passage in uh, its, its length. Sometimes it's like a paragraph or a contained unit of Scripture. But I'm, I've chosen to just pick uh, these three points in Scripture. So, hear the word of the Lord. This is Genesis 1.1. It's familiar to you. I often refer to it. Those who've listened to me preach over the years probably would say it's hard for him to preach without talking about Genesis 1.1. So, apologies. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1. Isaiah 65-17. Isaiah 65-17. Look, 
I will create a new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah 65. Revelation 21, 1. Behold, I saw before me a new heavens and a new earth. Genesis 1, 1, Isaiah 65, 17, Revelation 21, 1. God created, and then God said, look, I will make a new heavens and a new earth. And then in the end, look, behold, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. It's as if the entire arc of the story of the Bible can be plotted along these three lines. God created heavens and earth. God said, look, somewhere along the way, Isaiah 65, God said, look, I'm going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And in the end, John stands revelation of the Spirit and says, I looked and I saw a new heavens and a new earth. You see the thread, the line now, don't you? Genesis 1-1, Revelation 21, Isaiah 65, the narrative arc of the story that the Bible tells um, moves along these three plot lines, these three points. Um, Genesis 1, Isaiah 65, Revelation 21. If you're wondering, what is all this? I'm confused. What is this... Um, life of faith? What is this story that we read, this word of God that we hold so dear? What is it about? It moves along these lines. God created. God said, I'm going to recreate this thing. And in the end, God does. What I want you to know is that while that sounds very simple, it's a long, long way between Genesis 1 and Isaiah 65 and then on to Revelation 21. It's a long, long way. We cover a lot of distance along those three plots in the story. A long, long way. How many of you are uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines fans? Do I, is there, are there any Chip and Go... Probably not anyone in here is a Chip and Joanna Gaines fan. No. Anyone want, to, anyone want to raise their hand and say, I've never heard of Chip and Joanna Gaines? <laughs> okay, it's possible. Shocking, but possible. This is Chip and Joanna Gaines of Waco, Texas, and of HGTV. For, uh, HGTV started their fixer-upper fame, right? If you're not familiar, the plot line goes like this. We, or it started like this anyway. I'm not sure where they are now, but we take... Uh, the worst house in the best neighborhood, right? And fix it up. That's the, that's the story. And there's always a big reveal in the end. Yes? You know? They, they used to do this thing where they would pull, they had the partitions, they'd pull it apart. I found a few, and I want to share those with you. I think the guys have this queued up. So watch this video. It's just about a minute and a half uh, from Fixer Upper. Highlights, I should say, from Fixer Upper. Yeah, this front porch is awesome. I love the size. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. You just gotta give it a little kick. All right. What do you think right off the bat? For a house this old, I actually expected something maybe a little nicer looking. 
I think it's how do we bring it back and give it its character, but also make it fit for your family. Noah and Jessica, are y'all ready to see your fixer-upper? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. It's perfect. I love it. I love it. Perfect, y'all. It's perfect. This is it. Welcome home. <laughs> oh, no way. Oh, it's so open. As you can see, the wall that was originally here is now gone, and I think this just feels a lot more welcoming. I really feel like what we do is really for the sake of family, taking these homes that are a little bit weird sure. and creating these beautiful spaces for families. This is horrible. It's pretty bad. <laughs> so bad. So bad. Deep breath. Here we go. Vision. So listen, guys, this is how I felt before I got to this house. Okay? Very happy. I was a happy person. This is how I feel now that I'm in this house. Yes. Okay. But here's where it's going to get flipped on its ear. Here's how you guys are going to feel once we're finished with this project. <laughs> Clint Kelly, are y'all ready to see your fixer-upper? We're ready. ready. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh my gosh! Welcome home. The emotions are all over. I can't even look at that staircase. This is a great hundred-year-old colonial house, and I'm so glad that it wasn't torn down. Fixer upper. If you followed along, you probably recognize some of those uh, reveals. Have you ever seen? Uh, I've never seen an episode of Fixer Upper where they do the big reveal and they go, "Oh no." It never works out like that. Oh, no. It's always, oh, I can't believe it. What is it that, what is it that appeals to us about Fixer Upper that's made Chip and Joanna sort of the darlings of our hearts? What is it about that? I was curious, and so I actually uh, did a little digging and a little research. Here's what I found. <laughs> We all, the obvious is, we all like the idea of taking something old and making it new and beautiful, a space to inhabit. There are words at the end of every episode as they do the reveal and as they step into a new space are, come on, people, <laughs> welcome home, right? We all like the idea of that. But why is it that we'll sit and watch and watch? I'll tell you why. Because you can watch the entire process from beginning to end in less than one hour. It's a miracle, I'm telling you. <laughs> For those of us who've actually thought, I think that'd be a great idea. I think I'd like to tackle a project like that. You know <laughs> that it's not going to happen in an hour. And while Chip may make it look really easy... It's not. In fact, most of us, when we sit down to watch an episode of Fixer Upper, are still trying to recover from the project that we're working on while we watch it, right? It's a long, long way from old to new. There's a lot of hard work. And there's something about being able to pull all that together and take a step back and see the story unfold, the process unfold in front of us that's appealing to us. We're drawn into it. Even if secretly we know, hey, it cannot be that easy. It's not that easy. It's a long, long way from the beginning of that project in that old, rundown place to the new one, isn't it? A long, long way. Genesis 1, 
to Isaiah 65 to Revelation 21. It's a long, long way and a lot of hard work in God's grand renovation project. It's not easy. There are always unexpected, unanticipated, non-desirable discoveries along the way. There's always demo day. Right? There's always the decisions to be made along the way about, I I hear Chip. Well, Joe, um, we got a decision to make here. (laughs) Right? It's true. It's true. And it was true for the people of God. It's true for the story of God from Genesis 1 to Isaiah 65. What you need to know is that that span of time had had God draw his own people out of generations of generations of suffering and oppression into a new future. When God up and called Moses to lead his people out into a new future, it was uncertain and it was hard and it was desolate and sometimes there wasn't enough. No water, no food, No future, no hope. There wasn't enough. And God led them forward. Present, pillar of cloud by day, fire by night, led them forward into a new place, into a new land. Welcome home. And then the whole thing gets turned on its head, and all of a sudden God's nowhere to be found. And God said, I'm going to have to start this whole thing over again. I will make a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth out of you and for you. And he leads them forward. And in the end, we stand on the precipice of God leading us into the new creation, a whole new creation. We are drawn to shows like Fixer Upper because in an encapsulated way, in a moment, we can touch something eternal. We are sons and daughters of the new creation. Sons and daughters of God's grand renovation project in us and through us. And at the center of that story, marked Genesis 1, Isaiah 65, Revelation 21, at the center of that story story is Jesus. It's simple, but we forget. Emmanuel, God with us, light piercing the darkness. The center of that story is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The kingdom of God has come near. I want to take just a moment to invite you to walk with me through the way that Mark talks about, the gospel, in the gospel of Mark, Mark talks about the kingdom of God coming near. In Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, and Mark's gospel is different. You don't get the story of Jesus being born in a manger. You don't get angels and shepherds in the field. You don't get any of that. You just get, boom, we're off and running. In fact, it starts uh, with the words, in the beginning, in Mark. And, and so, if you have your Bible, uh, You can follow along in Mark 1. If not, that's okay. I'll walk you through this. 
But in Mark chapter 1, it's the beginning. 1-1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And by the time you get to uh, the middle of that chapter at verse 15, you've got Jesus proclaiming the good news of God. In the beginning, the good news, Jesus, verse 15, proclaiming the good news, saying, the time has come, is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. The kingdom of God has come near, has broken in, is now um, being manifest among you. The kingdom of God has come near. God's grand renovation project is now breaking in uh, to our midst. And then he calls people in Mark immediately. In fact, you're going to get see that phrase over and over again, and immediately, and immediately in Mark. He calls um, um, ordinary people to come and follow. Why? Proclamation, the kingdom of God has come near. It's right here. Come follow and see what it is. That's the idea in Mark. Come follow and see what it is. Discover this. They think they know what it is in Mark, but they really don't. It's breaking in among them. Come and see what this is. And then he begins to show them. That's the way it unfolds in Mark. So after that, proclamation, kingdom come near, God's renovation project now at hand. Come, walk with me. I'm going to show you the kingdom breaking in, the new creation beginning to unfold. And what happens in Mark? Well, as soon as they leave the synagogue, this is verse 29, they go to the home of, of uh, Simon, whose mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And he heals her of this fever. And then the next thing you get... That evening, at sundown, they begin to bring him all of those who are sick or demon-possessed, troubled in their spirit. I think we get distant from this truth when we say they had an evil spirit. We think, ooh, that sounds like something that happened. No, they were troubled in their spirit. Do we know what that means? Do we believe that that happened? Have you ever been troubled in your spirit? So much that darkness begins to eclipse your ability to make sense of yourself and make sense of the world, to make meaning out of life until you're right at the edge of despair, troubled in your spirit. Yes? And Jesus brings life and hope in that moment. The kingdom of God has come near. God's new creation is about to break in. It, in fact, it is breaking in. Come and follow and see what it is. And those who are affirmed in their body, like sick in their body, they're made whole. Those who are troubled in their spirit are made right, are at peace. And it goes on from there. Verse 40, a leper came to him. And Jesus is moved with pity. In verse 42, immediately again, the leprosy left him. Chapter 2, some friends bring a man who's suffering from paralysis, who's paralyzed, and Jesus makes him whole. You see what happens as the kingdom of God begins to break in? Those places that are not quite right, that are broken and frail, begin to be put back together. The kingdom of God is pressing in. The kingdom of God is near. And then you read forward a little bit further, and it's not just 
those things, those seemingly miraculous things as if the divine, the eternal breaks into the present moment. In John's gospel, um, there's a whole section of John's gospel that's called the book of signs or the book of miracles. I mentioned this. Did you know that last year, the last Sunday of the year, 2022, um, which was December the 30th, not the 31st. I have that right? I think I have that right. Or maybe it was New Year's Day, the other way. I preached, I preached this Sunday last year. It's just a coincidence I'm sharing with you. And I mentioned this because we were about to, Scott was about to walk us through a lot of Sundays of the Gospel of John. Now you're recognizing that, right? And I talked about the book of signs and I said these miracles were the inbreaking of God's renovation, his, the new creation, the kingdom of God drawing near. There were signs of it. If you have eyes to see it, I referenced a song that I had run across called Miracles. Uh, I've got miracles. Remember this? Miracles on miracles. A million little miracles. I've got miracles on miracles. Count your miracles. One, two, three, four. I can't even count them all. Now, now you remember that. This is the inbreaking of the kingdom. And if we believe that it's at hand, that it began in the center with the story of Jesus and is being worked out in the end, we're not in some grand pause. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear, the signs of the kingdom are breaking in among us. I want you to know that in Mark, it's not only these signs, the fever, the leprosy, the paralysis, the troubled spirit, the, the evil spirits within one. It's not only those things, but it's also religion itself. And this is important. If you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this because this is heavy on my heart as we stand at the threshold of stepping into 2024. In Mark's gospel, the very next thing that he tells us about the inbreaking of the kingdom and our invitation to come and see what it means that the kingdom has come near is his confrontation with religious leaders and their interpretation of the faith. It's about the Sabbath law. But it's really how about the gift of Sabbath that God gave us to draw us into life has been twisted and turned to suck the life right out of us. Religion turned bad. And if you are of the mind that that was just a problem for the Jews in Jesus' day, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. I take Mark's telling of the gospel to say to us that one of the most lethal, deadly elements impeding our ability to receive the inbreaking of God's new creation is the twisting and turning of religion itself. You make it into something for your own purpose to prop up your own interest and to secure your own power. That's what's happening in Mark with the Pharisees. Here, Hear the word of the Lord. 
What does it mean? God's grand renovation project with the story of Jesus showing us what it looks like when the kingdom begins to break in and press near. God is putting all these things back together. And when he says, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to take religion and put it back in its proper place so that it leads to life in God and not to something else, okay? When Jesus begins to show us that the work of God between the old dilapidated rundown house and the newly re renovated one is long the long hard work of new creation it's the kingdom of God drawing near and it's not just in the gospel of Mark that we get this sense but it's really in the life of Jesus on the whole he begins to speak. When Jesus begins to speak about God's grand renovation project, he says things like this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. You hear the reversal? Where's the blessing of God? Where's the inbreaking of God? Where's the presence of God? Where's the power of God? Where's the renovating, remaking, new creation work of God? Blessed are the poor. For yours is the kingdom. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. It's as if he's turning the whole world upside down. This renovation project turns the whole world upside down Henry came home from college first semester at college so I'll tell this one on you Henry um, and almost I think it was maybe the first day he was at home he, he was would tell us about your first semester at college and he was going on and on and he said dad how come no one ever told me about this upside down kingdom stuff and I thought, um, I've been preaching a while. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I mentioned that along the way. But let me ask you, how many of you, when you think about the very essence of what God's up to in the remaking the world, thinks, think about that as an upside-down kingdom? Right? So let me get this right for you, Henry, and for the rest of us, too. God's work of renovation to remake the world is to turn the whole thing on its head. That's the way he describes it. And when Jesus walks through life, not just talking or teaching, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, so on and so forth, but when he walks through life, his life embodies the inbreaking of that kingdom. What he does, what happens uh, with and around and to and through him embodies this. Jesus' suffering on the cross is not just a consequence of our sin. It is a manifestation of the kingdom. Let's say that again. Jesus' death on the cross is not just a, consequences of, a consequence of our sin, 
but a manifestation of the very essence, the very nature of this new creation project that God is up to. Put another way, he is demonstrating that there is a form of power greater than violence and suffering. That the power of self-giving love is greater than the power of violence and coercion. That the ends do not justify the means. The cross itself demonstrates a greater form of power, a truer form of power rooted in self-giving love. See, I don't get to preach that much, so I like to try and get six sermons into one. It's an upside-down kingdom. And Jesus' resurrection, in the same way, exposes the hegemony of death. This notion that death is somehow final, complete. It exposes that myth that death in all its forms is not final. The death of our bodies, the death of your spirit, whatever it is that has tried to crush your spirit, the death of your mind, the death of your heart, Whatever form death comes in is not final. The resurrection says it is not final because God's renovation project is turning the whole thing upside down. The resurrection of Jesus means that the power of life is greater than death. And so here we are gathered in this house together in the name of Jesus who represents God's grand renovation project. Daughters and sons of the new creation, a people who collectively receive the inbreaking of the kingdom, who see the world differently, who see power differently, exercised differently, who see suffering as meaningful, self-giving, life-giving, suffering as meaningful because it leads to something else who see the world differently, who hear and listen in the world differently. I'm convinced, maybe it's because instead of watching Fixer Upper, I've been watching shows about people's relationships. I'm telling on myself a little bit. That relationships and the world itself would be a lot different if we learn what it meant to truly listen to another. instead of bringing your own conclusions and filtering another person through those conclusions. Sit and listen to another. This is what it means to be people of the new creation, to participate and receive the inbreaking of God's kingdom, God's new creation work, new heavens and new earth in our midst now, coming towards us, drawing us into God's future. We see the world differently. We hear in the world differently. We discern in the world differently. We move in the world differently. If we're seeking to discern God's will for this family of God's people, it starts right there. It starts right there. It's God's renovation work in you, but it, it's not just about you. It is about... God is renovating our hearts and our minds. But it's God's renovation work among us, among us in this room, and it's God's work of renovation around us, in the world around us, and how we receive and participate in it. Look, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And then he promised his people, I'll make a new heavens and a new earth. And we, who bear the image and the likeness of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of God, stand and say, I can see it. To borrow Paul's word, not perfectly. It's kind of through a, it's kind of through a glass dimly. I can see it. But we see a new heavens and a new earth. God's grand renovation project. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, open up space in this moment and in this room, in our hearts and in our minds, that by your word and by the power of your spirit, we might know the inbreaking of your kingdom, your kingdom come near, your grand renovation project in us and among us and around us, a whole new heavens and earth for the old order of things is passing away. Bless us as we gather at this table now to remember and receive the gift of Jesus that we might follow in his way, that we might participate in the kingdom he declares, upside down though it may be. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.